2: Okay, I'm going to say a series of things that I've never said before. Uh, I'm sitting here in our studios. It's 7:18 on Thursday night, December 20th. Um, we're about to do a show with nine NOSE panelists and frankly, I think it's going to be kind of a mess. <laughs> our goal is to have a conversation about the year and culture and, and as they emailed around, as they do, nine people trying to identify what they thought was important in culture, it turns out They've all been walking on essentially nine different trails through the woods of culture. Uh, And it's nighttime. We don't usually do the show at night. And there's too many of them. And we're trying to remember why it was we wanted to do this. All of which should make you really interested in what comes next. So stay with us. Why did I think this was a good idea? Maybe it is a good idea. We have nine Nose panelists here. It's 8 o'clock at night. We're doing our show live at 8 p.m. It'll be rebroadcast also at 1 and survive on the Internet and podcast world forever. Uh, unless something goes drastically wrong, which it might. So there are nine of us, uh, nine of them here, plus a special surprise guest. He's never done the news before. General James Mattis is with us tonight. He did not uh. think he was going to be available. Uh, <laughs> but sir General, just make yourself at home and you'll pick up the flow of this pretty quickly. It's it's, uh, it's like war, but, you know, fewer people get hurt. Uh, all right. I'm going to tell you everybody who you're going to hear, uh, and I'm going to do it quickly, because that we could blow the whole show just uh, saying everybody's names. Uh, Rebecca Castellani, Director of Venue Operations for uh, Marketing, uh, Tour Marketing for We Save Music. Jim Chapdelaine, uh, Emmy Award-winning musician, producer, composer, recording engineer, patient advocate for people with rare cancers. Rand Richards-Cooper, Contributing Editor at Commonweal, writes the In Our Midst column for Hartford Magazine. Tanisha Dugan is Producing Associate at Theater works. Uh, James Hanley, co-founder of Cine Studio uh, at Trinity College. Rich Holland uh, is principal and design director at CoLab and a commissioner on cultural affairs for the city of Hartford. Jacques Lamar, a playwright and senior uh, project manager at Buzz Engine. Irene Papoulis teaches writing at Trinity College. Kate Russian is a poet who was recently commissioned to write and deliver a poem commemorating the 125th anniversary of the Hartford Public Library. She's also going to be performing her poetry with the Nat Reeves Quartet at Westminster School on Simsbury in Simsbury on January January eleventh. Okay, that's everybody. They're all in the studio, but they can't all talk at once. Obviously, so we'll be rotating them in and out. I mean, you said this is like being with your family.
3: Yes, uh, because we we all know each other, and there's like people in the background singing, and you know, everybody's sort of jittering around, and like alliances are 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 are, um, are rising and departing, and yeah.
2: So, yeah, it is it – is, it is, these people have been making radio shows together for – we don't even know how many years The Nose has been on the air. But Irene and uh, Rand and Jacques, I think, were on the first one ever. So what I want to do is – for the beginning, we're going to be talking about the year in culture. Uh, but I thought it might be interesting to get uh, four, the first four of you just uh, – we're going to get into specifics, movies, music, television, food, all kinds of stuff. But it's sort of – there's also kind of a gestalt to any year. There's sort of a vibe to any year. You know, uh, w- did it feel like American culture was cohesive and producing lots of things that made you happy Jacques for example I feel as though you you always seem pretty happy and you seemed uh, happy with culture in 2018 maybe I have that wrong but if I'm not what made you so happy um,
1: you know I don't I don't know that I was ecstatic. like I feel like last year I saw almost all of if not all of the films that were nominated for an Oscar mm. for example um, I don't I don't necessarily feel like I've had sort of that level of excitement about any particular uh, field of endeavor um, this this year except for I obsessively read any of the books that were trashing Donald Trump <laughs> um, but you know I I don't necessarily feel of it that- like like it was a bad year, but maybe it just wasn't the most exciting year. All right. I
2: was counting on you to be the cheerleader. All right. Yeah. <laughs> can, somebody else, can somebody else do better? Rich, can you do better? Sorry. I'm not going to do any
4: better. Yeah. Um, this, uh, to me, this was a fallow year. Yeah. Um, it was the year where culture took a nap in the hopes of getting a heck of a lot better next year. And the evidence of that is already starting to kick in over the past couple of months. Uh, good stuff is happening. Um, things that people should see and should be listening to. Um, what springs to mind? Uh, Spider Verse, yeah. for example, that was tremendous. We just went to see it the other day. It was it was it was unexpected. It was uh, the animation was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, the storyline was as dopey as a superhero thing should be, and yet. Uh, cut through a little deeper. It was, you know, basically the blue wave that we were hoping for in yeah. animation form. <laughs> <laughs> so it's picking up
2: speed all of a sudden. All right, so it's been kind of meh a, a little bit. So, and I know, Irene, you can get the mic over to G- Rich. it's to Jim, so it'll be ready. But, uh, uh, Irene, I think you and I felt similarly lost this year. Like, I feel like I've been wandering a path in the woods of culture, uh, bumping into Bob Woodward once in a while. But other than that, uh, yeah. I don't remember much about it.
3: Right. This this because I said, oh, what have I liked in 2018? 2018. Let's see. Phantom Thread. No, that was 2017. Uh, Mindhunter. No, that was 2017, too. And my mind was blank. And I know I haven't not taken in any culture, but I just sort of feel like I don't know. I don't know. I've been paying what I've been paying attention to is more maybe personal stuff, but also, you know, the national news and where is culture. And I whenever I. Yeah. So <laughs> that's that's kind of where I am, and everything just seems oblique. And but I mean, I and there's an idea. I mean, I guess if I step back and think about that, there's the idea that well, that's where art can flourish. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but I, in my personal life, I don't, I haven't really been encountering that that flourishing.
2: All right. Well, maybe as we go along here and get into the specifics, uh, people will find uh, ways in which that did happen, or. Uh, Jim, uh, this is your one chance you could save 2018 from oblivion if you could say right, something nice about it all
5: right I would offer the theory that I didn't have enough let me use a cheesy corporate word bandwidth I didn't have enough room for culture the way I normally would this year mm-hmm. because there was a important election that found me knocking on people's doors inappropriately um, and and uh, I saw most of the movies I saw I'd say about eighty percent were movies that Were assigned because of this show and I was always grateful for it. I was like, yes, now I have to go to the movies and I can't watch this TV show or read any of the books that Jock was talking about. So I wonder if a lot of us just got crowded out from some of this stuff that we would normally be kicking back at like, for example, reading fiction. I don't even know what fiction is right now. <laughs> right.
2: I think it's things that are not true, but that's also happening. Who in, knows in, what that yes, is? Exactly. Right, right. Objective truth is taking a hit. All right. So that's the overview. We're going to have. Uh, we're gonna use a Betsy Kaplan endorsement to give Jim and Rich a chance to exit and Rebecca and James a chance to take over their mic, which they will now have to share. We have a little broken mic problem here, uh, which General Mattis is on the floor working on right now. He's trying to rewire the whole thing back together again. So while that's happening, uh, we're going to transition to movies, senior producer, a uh, Betsy Kaplan has a movie which I also would have endorsed as a year-end
6: endorsement if
2: anybody had asked me.
6: One movie from 2018 that still sticks with me is Leave No Trace. It's a story about Will and Tom, a father and daughter who live off the grid in the woods outside of Portland, Oregon. We don't really know why, but we learn that the depth of these characters is inversely proportional to the few words they use to show it. Director Deborah Granick drops little bits of clues about the unknown backstory of Will and Tom's lives. She doesn't need to do more. Their faces tell the rest. It's a gentle movie. No adrenaline-inducing action or tear-jerking tragedy or stereotyped characters. When you expect indifference, you find a human touch. Who would have thought? Leave No Trace was slow and scenic and quiet, yet so much was said about respect and love and pain and war and survival. Granick doesn't tell you what to think. Maybe that's why it lingers with me. There's so much to think about. I liked it better than Keith, although he was a sucker for the beauty of the Portland forest.
2: She should say, made it clear, she liked it better than her husband Keith liked it. She didn't like it better than she likes her husband Keith. I feel somewhat secure. Uh, in saying that, I'm glad you're I'm, explained that. not 100% uh, <laughs> clear. So James, uh, grab the mic, rotate it over towards you a little bit. Uh, James Hanley, since uh, you're watching the movie business pretty carefully, uh, I have a pretty good sense of how 2018 was going. Uh, and do you think this is going to turn out to have been a good year in movies?
7: Well, actually, yes. Um, I First of all, I would say I would agree about Leave No Trace. Me too. I thought that was a really special film. Yeah. There were two films that stood out to me. The other one was, I think I mentioned uh, on the email chain, uh, a German film called The Captain, which almost nobody saw. But one of the things that has really started to happen now is that the – The digital media, the availability of digital media for people who want to make everything really from music, films, art, whatever, is so ubiquitous and so inexpensive that there's a huge flow of material and that affects the movie industry tremendously. You really have – on the one hand, you have maybe a dozen tentpoles throughout the year which are big blockbusters that that absorb the – Vast majority of screens, but there's a huge number of small films, many of which are really interesting and really absorbing, and they really make you think, but so few of them actually get seen by a large number of people. And that sort of bothers me. And I, I don't know if there's an answer to that because I always felt, you know, when digital cinema came in, much as I might have my criticisms of it aesthetically. One of the extraordinary things about it is to make it, uh, filmmaking accessible to people, especially young people. I mean, we've had films from 10-year-olds on cell phones showing at Sydney Studio. And and I think that that's really? Ten, huge. 10-year-olds? Oh, yes, wow. with the, the, the uh, Real Heart, real Youth Hartford Film Festival. and And so these kids got to see sort of professional-level reproduction of the films they made on a big screen in the dark with their families and friends. And uh, this was a huge revolution to me because when we first started Cine Studio, I mean, it it would have cost $100,000 to make a film. And so it was a very narrow market. And now it's very broad. And it's brought with it a a huge embarrassment of riches. I mean, there's so much stuff. And I feel there's so many things that I don't catch up with. It's sort of a regret. But I'm also glad that this this medium is available and, and that these films do get seen, at least by some people.
2: Right, I've noticed with some of the critics' year-end list, there are movies that I have never heard of, and I yeah. I really do try to kind of keep up with that. But because a lot of them are small, uh, or a lot of them are coming from from other countries and not playing here, so you might have to hunt around a little bit more, right, uh, and to find these things. Okay, so one that you don't have to hunt around for, which which three of our panelists at minimum have seen, is the favorite. Uh, it's out in theaters right now. Uh, it's, it's a little bit complicated because it's the. Uh, Oh, you favorite? You can spell favorite two different ways, and there are two different movies this year called The Favorite, just to make everything super confusing. So um, we should say this is the story of, of Queen Anne. Well, I should—I'll let somebody who actually saw the damn movie explain what it's the story of. You want to get it going, Irene?
3: Um. Well, it's um, it's it's a very it's very different from the commercial that you might see on TV. Mm-hmm. First of all, <laughs> um, it's it's a very um, yeah, like the, the the sort of historical background. I'll leave to somebody else. Um, Jacques, do you know, do you want to start there?
1: Uh, well, I after I saw the movie, which I saw last night, and I loved it. I loved it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I went to see, you know, how historically accurate the film is. And it's actually surprisingly accurate, except for. Um, the romance between the women, that uh, um, there are letters that indicate certain things, but there is no evidence that these women actually had sexual relationships. Oh, so the we same. need to explain uh, who these
2: women are. I'm going to turn, right, okay. <laughs> turn this over to the scholar over here. <laughs> yeah. I do want to say that this is a, this particular plot is really interested people, generally speaking. Um, in fall of 2017, I was in the West End of London, where the Royal Shakespeare Company was also doing a play called Queen Anne. It's about the exact same plot that Rebecca is about to describe, but I don't think the movie is based on that play. I think there are these are two Independent explorations of this rather odd relationship. Do you feel up to doing a synopsis? I mean, don't no spoilers, but
8: I mean that's a tough bill. Um, well, yeah. just first of all,
2: maybe mention who the actresses are and and, and what's going on.
8: Sure. Right. So Olivia Colman is playing Queen Anne, and I just adore Olivia Colman. I think she's a rising yes. star. She's taking over for Claire Foy uh, for the next season of The okay, Crown. Nice. So she's just a stellar actress. And did you see the Night Manager? Yes, she's in that. Yes, and Broadchurch, Broadway. British Broadchurch, which yeah. is just fabulous. So she to me, was the breakout star of that. But then the supporting actresses are Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone, and they are two courtiers that are rivals for the Queen's attention and favor. And madness ensues. Um, it's film. I was mostly struck by how beautifully and interestingly it was filmed. There's a lot of fishbowl lenses and long tracking shots that almost makes you feel sometimes like you're watching a reality television show in a way. And, you know, it, especially in light of our current political moment as well, there was a lot of stuff that I think Modern viewers will understand in a in a new light, given where we are with Trump. <laughs> so, I uh, I very much enjoyed it. I thought that the acting was absolutely stellar. I I think that it's one of those movies that's very difficult to describe. Even if we were to give you a whole historical synopsis, the movie itself is is a substance that's different from the history surrounding it. And it's more, I think, about the portrayals these women are bringing to the stage that struck me the most. And obviously, it's just filmed. Beautifully, And the sound engineering is another thing that I was really struck by. And mm. that's something I've recently started being more attuned to in movies is the, the choice and direction with sound. And I mm. thought it was just great.
2: Yes, as well you should, yes.
3: Um. And it's emotionally surprising yes. in in such an... I mean, I felt like it was exploring emotions in a very, very interesting way. Yeah. Um, and we, we really didn't think the same thing about the emotions of the characters by the end as we did in the beginning. Yeah. And um, there was a certain kind of yeah, I mean, Rachel Weiss is so great. I just love her. She's she she I thought she was amazing. Um, and Emma Stone plays a sort of not her usual character, yes. but it was inter- but you know, but I had some trouble with her just the way she delivered some of her lines. Jacques, did you like her?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's very kind of anachronistic things that happen within the film, particularly yeah. in the certain dance scene where you're like, what is going <laughs> that on? That was so good. Uh, but, you know, that. I love that the movie keeps throwing you little odd curveballs, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I I kind of left thinking it's, it's all about Eve. What would happen if all about Eve and dangerous liaisons had a love child that was uh born on crack and it was you know it was yeah. it was it was just a, a weird exciting film and and I really enjoyed it. All right.
2: So can we do a quick transition to another uh, movie that uh, created a stir of kind this, of a kind this year, and that was Crazy Rich Asians. Now, I'm trying to remember. You've seen Crazy Rich Asians. Yes. So you've seen Crazy Rich yes. Asians. I've seen it. You know, no. Have you guys have you seen, it you've see seen it yet? you have seen it. Okay, James. James, you get it started then. Get, get us started with it. Uh, yes, I know Tanisha is, uh, is refusing to see, see it. it. Right. <laughs>
7: <laughs> well, I have to say, uh, you know, at first when I read about it and uh, was, you know, while we were talking about it, I sort of, it, some red flags flashed for me that um, it has a kind of, you know, like it, the, the synopsis we heard about it and also the trailer that came out, you know, which is, as usual was made by people totally unrelated to the movie. It had a kind of self-consciousness about it, but um, it's very interesting that when we showed it at SUNY Studio, um, I really enjoyed it, but as, as much as anything for the audience, the audience that came on, there were for the first time we had a very large number of Asian Americans and Asians who came to see the film and really like enjoyed it immensely. And um, some of the people in the movie had a kind of like a almost sort of self conscious sort of way of delivering the lines Mm -hmm. that the film transcended what I had been suspicious of before. And so I actually enjoyed it very much. And I think the audiences, uh, I mean, I went to see it a second time, actually, with another audience and the audience just went crazy over it. They just loved it.
2: You know, Jacques. To me, it, it certainly works mm-hmm. as a rom com. Anyway, I mean, it's just if it if you stripped away all the cultural baggage and just did it uh, as a rom com, you know. I mean, I was getting a little verklempt at the end. Yeah, I mean, you know, I
1: was uh, I was watching the the film um, and and enjoying it thoroughly uh, from a lot of different standpoints, but. You know, I was trying to think of the last time I had seen a good romantic comedy, mm. and I I could not, th- you know, I was going back to, like, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan era, Nora
2: Ephron.
8: I think this was the year that rom-coms came back into the mainstream in a good way. We've had so many poor years of rom-coms, and I am not a big rom-com fan. But so what was
2: the other rom-com that was any good this year?
8: To All the Boys I've Loved Before ah, on Netflix, so, yeah. which was really good, and I maybe cried a couple times in that movie. But I was all prepared to dislike Crazy Rich Asians for the same reasons the trailer didn't really do it for me I was I was kind of on the fence and I, I watched it at home. It was not something I went out to the theaters to see. And you
2: have to be prepared to, with this movie to identify with people who essentially would look down yes. at, on one percenters as like yes. really not having quite enough money uh, and <laughs> we'll hear a, l- let's hear a little clip from uh, Crazy rich, rich Asians. You're going to hear the, the two romantic leads. Henry Golding is Nick Young. Constance Wu is the ragged little match girl who's the Cinderella figure in this story. I, I all point out to people she's actually a professor of economics at nyu in the movie but that uh, that amounts to being a ragged little match girl
9: singapore for spring break colin's wedding we've been dating for over a year now and i think it's about time people met my beautiful girlfriend come on i'm colin's best man don't you want to see where i grew up meet my family my armada i meet up with that strange college roommate of yours take lynn mm-hmm. take she them. has
2: been begging me to come visit her you know
9: the universe has spoken. It wants you over there. Come to Singapore. I want the whole island
2: to meet the brilliant Rachel Chew. Aww. And I, I, Jacques, I guess also, if you do get off on opulence, this is a great movie too.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I loved the the excess of it. I mean, that just that clip that you played, it immediately launches into a fantastic scene of them uh this network of of uh chi- is it chinese women uh Ooh. texting right. uh the like they're supposed to be on this private date and all of a sudden it's literally all over the globe
8: like gossip girl
1: yeah it was and it was so brilliantly visualized on screen and i you know and a you know Henry Golding needs to be the next James Bond. I'm sorry. I'm going out. There. I was watching that I I was watching it going he should be the next James Bond. Uh but be you know I I think uh, and and I think Aquafina is unbelievably
8: Breakout star of 2018.
2: Yeah, yeah. Totally agree but, with that. Yeah. yeah, Between that and Ocean's 8 or whatever. Well, she was the, yeah, she was the best part of that whole movie. Yeah, she was the best part of that movie too. Alright, so we're going to do another line change here. We're going to switch over <laughs> to TV. But before we do that, so James and I have to do an endorsement together. Uh, and that is for Amazing Aki uh, oh, no, yes. Yeah, grab the mic and turn it all around. Yeah,
7: there's a new... Uh, R- ba-
2: R- was, we should say, Rand is going to lead us through a food, a whole food segment <laughs> at the end of the show, but right now we're going to do a quick food thing. Yeah. Well,
7: at the Coventry Market, which is in the Coventry High School during the winter, there is a new baker uh, who bakes the most amazing ackee patties. If you don't know what ackee is, it's kind of a, a fruit that uh, produces this delectable uh, sort of yellow flesh that looks sort of like scrambled eggs, yes. but with um, with with Jamaican spices and put in a beautiful pastry patty. It's just heavenly, and uh, they are the greatest find at the market. They really highly recommend it. Recommended. It's,
2: it's the Jamaican food patty you've been waiting for because it's it's light. It has a kind yeah. of a light. Fluffy texture to it. Uh, they sell them at Geisler's up there in Bloomfield and Windsor. If we all, after this show at nine o'clock, stampeded over to Real Artways, I think they're <laughs> over there selling them tonight at Creative Cocktail Hour. And James and I uh, get them at uh, the Coventry Farmers Market on Sundays, and they are amazingly good. Really it's not great. just ackee too. They have all kinds of different. Flavors. Yeah, that's right. They have uh, lentil uh, ackees. Oh. <laughs> it, is, it, it is good. All right. So time to do a line change. Uh, what's going to happen is that all, all that's going to happen is, do I, am I in the right spot here? Uh, what's going to happen is, first of all, we're going to hear a, uh, uh, an endorsement from uh, WNPR's politics producer, Scott Breedy. While that's happening, James and Irene will leave. Jim and Tanisha will join.
10: Here we go. One thing I've learned with Ryan Murphy shows is that they're either brilliant or they seem phoned in. So you get stuff like the last three seasons of Glee or this year's terrifyingly awful American Horror Story Apocalypse. But it's a holiday, so I'm staying positive and giving props to another 2018 Ryan Murphy show, Pose. It's groundbreaking because it has the largest cast of trans actors in television history. It depicts New York City ball culture in the 1980s where you have these giant dance-offs and over-the-top outfits and lots of snarky put-downs. But it also has a sappy Waltons-esque quality to it where all is forgiven at the end of each episode between Blanca, who is the main character, and the LGBTQ homeless youth that she has taken in from off the streets. Blanca even manages to mend fences with her arch rival, Elektra, after a season full of verbal catfighting between the two. And I really hope that next season
2: they're feuding
10: again because it's so fun to watch.
2: All right. So that's Scott Breedy endorsing Pose, which a lot of critics also uh, have endorsed or picked as among their top 10. We're going to talk a little bit about television right now. As I say, we have some new panelists. Uh, Jim has come back. Tanisha is with us for the first time. We're going to start, I think, with uh, Queer Eye. And just to get this going, uh, uh, Jonathan, let's do A5. Let's hear a little bit of, of Queer Eye on Netflix.
9: When you put a gaggle of gay guys in a trailer in the middle of Appalachian Trail Mountains, honey, we're gonna give you a fashion show. Get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. Walk it, uh, uh every day, every day. Do it right every day
2: All right, that's a song they made out of little bits of their own dialogue. So, uh, Tanishi, do you want to get start us going here? This is obviously uh, it's been on, I guess, for a couple of seasons now on Netflix. Two, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, And it's a, a, a total reboot from the original. Queer Eye, which I was a big fan of.
11: It is, and I'm, like, old enough to know the original and this one, and I loved it, and I remember— That's
2: that's not that old. I just want to
11: say Thank (laughs) you, boo. I'm not—yes, I'm not that old. Uh, I remember watching the newest one while I was in uh, Louisville on on business, and I was sitting in the hotel room, and I'm watching this thing, and I'm, like, bawling because I remembered how beautiful this entire, like— who do you think you are and who do you want to be? And here is this, like, troop of gay guys that are going to come in and help you be your most authentic self. And I don't know what that means to, like, do that with a group of gay guys if you're a straight guy, but I think it really sort of, to me connected this individualism that I think has been, you know, in the conversation that we've been having about culture. Like we don't feel that we are a part of it because we all feel very like, I am a black woman and I am a queer woman and I am in this world and I'm in this box and this is the thing that I listen to. And this is the thing that I read. And this is the thing, the movie that I watch. And what was so amazing about Queer Eye is that it kind of broke that open for us because we were able to see a bunch of dudes of, one, sexuality, but many experiences changing the lives of people. And it was dope and exciting and loving.
2: All right. So, uh, yeah, we have to go through this pretty quickly because I'm already frying the clock here a little bit. Um, I'll shut up. So, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's not one person's problem. Um, <laughs> so, Jacques, I, I was a huge fan of the original series. I, I think I watched all the episodes, including the one where they, they did a makeover for the Boston Red Sox, which I thought was just unbelievably <laughs> hilarious. But, um, and I've just never made the transition to this one. I mean, sell it to me.
1: Uh, it's better yeah uh, it's better it's it's more uh, oh, emotional just keep getting better. <laughs> exactly uh, the it there is i'm I'm trying to figure out what the secret sauce is this year this time that makes it uh makes heart. it better but oh, I, heart. I mean hard Jonathan Van Ness uh, yeah I mean but all of them, you know, the uh, Karamo, because, you know, the, the guy who was the cult, quote-unquote culture guy, Jai, is it Jai Rodriguez in the first? Oh, yeah, yeah. You're kind of like, I don't get his job. But, like, Karamo, you're like, I can't wait till you talk again. Yes. And it, they're uh they're they're a much more diverse selection of uh not only uh of the the gay men but of the people that they're with and it's not this whole thing of like we're treating this you know straight men it's not all straight men uh that they're doing you know quote unquote makeovers for um but they're they're way beyond makeovers they're like spiritual makeovers these they're crying you're crying <laughs> the gays are crying
3: <laughs>
0: i feel <laughs> like it makes over me like
8: every episode Everybody's i watch crying. i feel like it's completely changing my life and all of these lessons that they're giving me to you know these are happening to these like ill-dressed white men. I don't have much to relate to with them, but here I am at the end you of the are, yeah, You are sitting next to Jim. I know, know, I know. Minus in this specific moment. But usually <laughs> this is like not my experience, and I just feel so, this empathy for you know a demographic I typically don't have a ton of. I think
11: you've hit on the gist of it, right? Which is that most of the protagonists are that. Yes. Right, And so we are dealing with that, and we're trying yes. to crack that open, and we've got a cast of characters who are so invested in yes. cracking that open that we all have this catharsis.
8: And the emotion behind it is so unexpected at times like it's so lighthearted and fun and funny and they're so quirky and all of their one liners are just perfect and land and it's it's lighthearted and then something will catch you off guard that you're just suddenly like in the mm. middle of laughing and you're just weeping there's an episode in the first season that deals with police brutality they make over a cop and it has one of the most Moving conversations between a person of color and a police officer that I think it should be mandatory viewing for everyone. It it was really unbelievably moving. And it's I think it is far and away my favorite thing to come out of this year.
2: Wow. So, Jim, uh, say one thing about this and then we'll go to a break. Uh,
5: I want to be made over. (laughs) That's what I can say.
2: (laughs) But I don't live in Georgia. Right. Um, all right. So if anybody wants to make Jim Chapdelaine over, uh, email me, Definitely colin, C-O-L-I-N, at wnpr.org. We'll take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to bring in some uh, other people. We're going to talk about music. At the end of the show, the final segment, Rand will be leading us in a conversation about food.
0: Oh, yeah. Things keep getting better.
2: All right. There were some events in 2018, some cultural moments in 2018 that pretty much, you know, everybody partook of. I mean, sort of everybody you knew was going to make it eventually, I think, to Black Panther. Uh, Most of us here in the room did. Uh, Let's uh, hear a little clip to get us in the mood.
0: Ulysses Klo plans to sell the vibranium to an American buyer in South Korea tomorrow night.
12: Klo has escaped our pursuits for almost 30 years. Not capturing him is perhaps my father's greatest regret. I wish to bring Claw back here to stand trial.
13: Wakanda
10: does not need a warrior right now. We
8: need a king. My parents were killed when he attacked. Not a day goes
12: by when I do not think about what Claw took from us. From me?
0: It's too great an opportunity to pass.
12: Take me with you. We'll take him down together, side by side, eh? I need you here, protecting the border.
8: Then I ask, do you kill him where he stands, or you bring him back to us?
12: You have my word. I will bring him back.
2: All right. So uh, we uh, talked about this uh, on The Nose when the movie came out. Um, In fact, two of the panelists who were on that show are sitting around the rim right now. So, Kate, you know, when it it came out, it was obviously this huge, huge cultural moment. People have been waiting a long time for it. Uh, Ryan Coogler was so clearly the right director uh, to do this. Um, How how has it aged in your mind? Are you as excited about Black Panther now as you were when it came out?
0: You know, I haven't actually thought about it in a while, (laughs) but when I do think about it, I think about the excitement in the audience, Mm -hmm. uh, how it affected people all across the spectrum, all ages, all backgrounds, and I think about the strength of the women, the bad costumes, (laughs) and I think uh, about—I'm really glad there was Angela Bassett and Forrest Whitaker were uh, in Black Panther as the elders. Because frankly, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm I'm really fed up with this what I see as intergenerational hostility mm. that's going on. They're so. sort of Grey
2: Panthers actually. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, Rand, I don't know I don't since you weren't on that show, I don't know what you thought of Black Panther.
14: Well first of all, you know, when a movie's released <laughs> in January uh and, and we're talking about in December, the, the memory of it <laughs> um, <clears throat> Perhaps because we're all sort of culturally overloaded, has attenuated a little bit. Um, you know, this was a huge year for movies. Box office uh, records were set, and uh, I think eight of the top 10 uh, performers of the box office were, were, uh, were based on, on comics, on cartoons. So the, the act, the comic book, epic, action, huge budget film, is just crushing. Uh, the box office. And that makes me think of what James was talking about before, all the really small, interesting films that barely get an audience. When I write about films, I try to write almost exclusively about those. So I suppose I'm saying in a somewhat lukewarm way that I like the film a lot, but it seemed almost to me more important uh, in terms of of what it represented um, in in the evolution of uh, African-American based films getting major audiences and sort of Demolished really the 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 kind of ghettoization of African American films into into so-called niche audiences, and it was very exciting to see that happen, um, based on a, this this kind of restoration fantasy of African civilizational greatness. So I kind of you know I really appreciated that.
11: This one throwing like so many. Hot words into the like mix, you know, I, you know, one of the things I think that um Kate, you talk about that I think is really interesting to me is that there's something about culture in 2018 that's moving so fast that you don't even know if this happened this year or not. Right. And I think that is, you know, I hate to do this because I hate to give attention to this thing that I think is consuming us. But I think there's something very Trumpian and something very about this time, about like moving so fast past a moment that you don't know when the hell, excuse my language, when it happened, right? Um, And I think Black Panther is consumed by that, that I think um, despite the words you use to describe it, which make me uncomfortable, quite frankly, I think it is absolutely a comic book film that is... A monster and a giant and we cannot deny that it made the block you know the bo- box office numbers that it did um, and it s- sort of superseded blackness right because yes the black dollar we've learned this year is legit and real and can change a country and can make people own homes Um, But it superseded that Black Panther did. And I think that was an awakening for America to finally say, because this is an unabashedly black project, that unabashedly black culture that is not hiding behind a whiteness or uh, an acceptability is us. Like it's you, Rand, it's you, Jim, it's you, Colin, and we all showed up for it, you and that you,
2: was dope. you didn't mention General Mattis. actually, he didn't see it apparently. he's very he very lied serious. so yeah
5: you know, I don't know how I can add to this, except to say that in a world in which ninety percent of our movies are generated by comic books, yeah, this is the one you want to see, I think, even though tonight we're going to talk about I think if we get to them three movies that are all generated by comic books, this would be my favorite of them it, it in addition to everything we're uh, here. although Rich it's, it's made a pretty, pretty good, amazing, pretty good
2: case for the new Spider-Man, he did in an, anima- an animated one too. All right, so um, we need to do a shift change here. I think mainly, I think we might have to trade out Jim and bring in Jacques, so we can get to Janelle Monae. And while we're doing that, uh, let's hear Carlos uh, Mejia, our digital producer at WNPR. He's got an
12: endorsement of some kind. 2018 was great, because my daughter was born, and since I can't endorse my baby, I'll instead endorse a game that I barely have time to play because I'm always with my baby. That game is Red Dead Redemption 2. Red Dead Redemption 2 is the best video game I've played all year. Typically, games are praised for their amazing visual graphics, and this game is filled with them. There are beautiful landscapes and cities that mirror real life and historical locations like Yellowstone Park and New Orleans. But what makes red dead 2 so good is the writing you play as arthur morgan an outlaw gunslinger as you and your friends in the vanderlyn gang shoot steal and heist their way through 1899. the game has over 100 hours of playable content and i know i'll be lucky if i could even get half that far but it also has an incredible soundtrack really amazing voice acting And it makes for a video game experience that has made me more emotional than any movie I've seen this year. However, if you really like the sound of that, you may have trouble buying
2: that particular game in time for Christmas. Um, (laughs) uh, It's one of those things that's sort of missing. Like Amazon can't get it to you now. So um, that was Carlos Mejia. Let's talk a little bit about uh, at least one moment in music. I've been a Janelle Monáe fan since Tightrope, which I still maintain is the greatest music video ever, ever, ever done by anybody. So uh, uh, I'm a little – I had a little less time to get to Dirty Computer this year. Uh, I guess maybe we should begin by just hearing a little bit of Make Me Feel
0: baby don't make me spell it out for ya all of the feelings that i've got for ya can't be explained but i can try for ya yeah baby don't make me spell it out for ya you keep on asking me the same questions and second guessing all my intentions
2: for the sake of time, I have to fade it out right now. So, uh, so Kate, uh, you're back into the mix here. Uh, Janelle Mine, I feel like it should be as big a superstar, you know, as, I don't know, as any Jackson, as Prince. I mean, she can kind of do it all. Uh, I feel like she's less familiar to people. But, I don't know, give people a reason to seek this one out.
0: I think she's on her way. Uh, I've loved her ever since I first saw her. I love her retro style. I love her James Brown dancing. I love her boldness. I love her coolness. Janelle Monae is my hero. <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right, how about you, Jacques?
1: Uh, well, you know, she first came on my radar with with Tightrope, and I got. Uh, Arch and Royd, um, which I didn't love start to finish. Okay. And uh, Electric Lady, there was a great, I'm trying to remember what the song was, but there was a great single. And I just, I, I wanted her to be a great album artist. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this album, uh, and I, you know, I was initially very drawn to the, the Prince-like sound of Make Me Feel. And the first and only time I've seen her live was opening for Prince at Mohegan Sun. And so, uh, you know, I I think that she she carves this wonderful identity for herself. And also she's become an amazing actor, too. And so I think that she's bringing that that uh, sense of performance to her her record as well.
11: You're so right. I think she found her essence when Prince died, you know, and I think that's a a sad thing, because I think in some ways she's Prince's spirit animal. And I think what dirty computer did for her was allowed her to really lean into the zeitgeist that she fulfills so well, which is this androgynous, totally urban, uh, working class sound that Prince embodied. And until that space was evacuated, she couldn't really be who she is right now. And I think we're just about to see the best of who she can be.
1: Can I throw in a quick thing? Yes. Just that Prince actually released an album uh, posthumously this year that was amazing called Piano and a Microphone, mm-hmm. 1983, and it's just him with a piano at, at the peak of his powers, and it's him just kind of uh, jamming for no one other than himself.
11: So whoever loves me and hasn't bought me a Christmas present, that is at the top of my list.
2: All right, so let's go out of this segment with a, a cut from another album. Uh, it can be the Carters or Michelle. Uh, let's have a vote. Michelle. Michelle? Oh, yeah, yeah Michelle. Michelle from, sure. from uh, Ventriloquism. Yes. I always screw up the last name. Say the last name.
11: Nendeggio Cello.
2: Okay, I wouldn't have done that so well. Uh, all right, here we go from ventri- from the Nindeg- album Ventriloquism. All right. We're back. If you're listening at night, tell your friends that this show will also be. We're live here at 8 p.m., but uh, tell your friends that we'll be on at 1 p.m. If you're listening at 1 p.m., don't even bother with what I'm saying right now. Uh, We're going to talk about food here at the end. But as we make that little transition, we have asked, as you can tell, a lot of our producers and staff people uh, around here to make some endorsements. Uh, I I also want to quickly say that this is usually where Wolfie does the credits. She's not here. It's 8 o'clock at night. Uh, And it's just me and Jonathan McPants. That's basically. And I think the security guy. Has actually been pretty helpful, just in terms of helping people get in and out of the shout building. So,
11: I like an interruption, but uh, shout out to you guys giving your colleagues a voice in this all right. and allowing them to have these endorsements. It's been beautiful and yeah. wonderful yeah, and we, exciting. We
2: always enjoy hearing from them. Let's hear what, what. Let's hear what our digital producer Tucker Ives liked.
9: A couple of years ago, Formula One racing went from the conventional engine to a hybrid engine, kind of the Prius of auto racing. And then a couple of years ago, they started Formula E, which is uh, vehicles that are entirely electric. So. This is where a lot of the manufacturers are putting a lot of research and development into these cars. And eventually, the technology that they're using in this uh, racing is going to trickle down into everyday automobiles. So uh, last weekend, they just kicked off their first race of the season. Uh, They were in Saudi Arabia. Of course, a little ironic, the cars are extremely quiet. It's not the big thundering roars that you may expect from, say, a stock car like NASCAR or uh, the traditional Formula 1 vehicles. The cars are not as fast as the Formula 1 counterparts, but they are on these very tight circuits, mostly street circuits. So the racing is really fun, and they're really close together, and there are
2: crashes. It's just not quite as loud. All right. So uh, I promised food. We're going to do food. Actually, before we do food, though, Rand, uh, uh, very quickly, because our, our time is a little bit limited here, but uh, you're uh, a man uh, of uh, the world. You go out on the town not only to eat, but apparently to drink and throw axes. Tell us about this.
14: Mm. <laughs> well, the axe-throwing craze trickled down from the wilds of Canada and, and <laughs> has, has been uh, replicating itself uh, in, in, in cool places uh, around the country. And there are now a couple of axe-throwing places, one in Hartford. The one I went to is called Montana Nights in Newington. It's all... Decorate. It's an old warehouse. It's decorated in kind of lodge-like, uh, 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 Western lodge-like appointments. And you can actually. It sounds like a terrible combination. You can drink beer and throw axes. Mm. They're just little hatchets. They only weigh two pounds. And you are isolated <laughs> in a in a cage. And uh, and when you go there, you're you're put on a team, and everyone takes like a f- like a fake moniker. And it's actually. A lot of fun.
2: I just like to be there when the guy gets the loan for that. You know, like really, this is going to be <laughs> this is going to be popular for years to come. I don't have any problem. I've got a ten-year business plan for axe throwing at my bar. Um, all right, so Rand, you still have the floor here. Are you you do review restaurants, so I do. No? And I,
14: I go to restaurants a lot, and and uh, and I, I'm very impressed by the people who are running restaurants in Connecticut. And 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 you know, we can all list our favorite restaurants and and places that you get great food. But above and beyond the great food, mm-hmm. I worked in restaurants when. I was in my 20s and I was, I was a waiter. And and yeah, we had fun, but it was a really pretty depraved kind of fun. Um, it was a really a, a big blowout scene. And I meet young word. people in their 30s. Um, and and they're, they're having a sort of fun that, that involves real creativity and in many cases, a sense of mission. And it's very holistic in, in that people are getting involved in all phases of food growing and, and preparing. And this has really just become sort of standard stuff for restaurants. So I just want to mention a couple. There's a great restaurant new in newish in New Haven called Olives and Oil. Uh, and it's a sort of Italian gastropub. They've got this Vespa over the door. It's like, you know, Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn are going to ride in on the Vespa. The chef's name is John Brennan. He has a blog called Cheap Date Blog. And it's a combination of storytelling, jokes, but also recipes and sort of meticulous Photographs, it's almost like a deconstructed video, and I prefer it to a video, but he doesn't have to do it. He puts a lot of time into it, and, and it's clearly like part of his mission. Another mission place, very important, a place called Bistro on Maine that opened this year in Manchester. And the guy makes, the chef's name is Ben Dubot. He's also a pastor. And they've hooked in with the Manchester uh, uh, Area Conference of Churches. And they run their restaurant. First of all, all tips go as charitable donations to their various causes. And their restaurant is also a training program. Almost everyone who works there is someone who has come to them through the ch- from, from the food pantry or mm-hmm. through the, the church's charitable outreach. And they train people for culinary jobs there. And as I said, the bouillon base is great too. And the third restaurant I would point to, There's a series of restaurants actually owned by Dan Meisner and James Wayman down in the Mystic Stonington area, uh, Engine Room, uh, Oyster Company, and um, Grass and Bone. And they've bought a 100-acre farm down there called Stone Acres. And they have done things like they hooked hooked up with a chef named Dan Giusti who has worked now to completely uh, redo the food preparation in the New London Public Schools. And they're running educational outreach programs from, from their farm. They're teaching kids about farming from all these communities. And it's awesome. And, I, you know, I, I think it's just all of these developments in the whole restaurant You've culture. You've nailed it, you know, I man. so it's, beautiful, it's really. It's
11: true. I mean, it, it hurts me as a person who works in high culture to say, but it is the food culture that has really changed the game. I mean, they are bringing all of the people together and I want to talk about Tim Cabral who runs Ordinary and who's also the beverage director at Prone and Pina and Tyler Anderson who's also prone and pina and cooking the bear and Heather Schultz who works at the Goodwin Hotel who right. has been Absolutely doing yeoman's Jamie. work of trying to use their art form to bring community community together. Mm-hmm. I mean food is the thing that we all can walk into without controversy, right? All well, the other art forms we have a point of view about. The artist is trying to push an opinion or an agenda. And food is easy. And and you've you've nailed it. It's a beautiful 2018, 2019, hopefully twenty twenty way for us to come together and commune. It's it's real. all right. So, so to
2: whatever extent food is not is controversial, and it can be controversial. Donuts. Maybe theoretically are not. And Rand was emailing us about uh, high-end donuts. First of all, Irene, have you been to Donut Crazy yet? No, no. i walked by it, so but good. I haven't. But I'm inspired but you after have, reading. But you have been to it. Of course. And this is a high-end donut, a right? i a
11: student at uh, the this University West, of West Hartford, Hartford Center, who works called donut crazy. at Donut Crazy. It's crazy donuts. It's maple bacon donuts. It's cookie monster donuts that are blue and chocolate chip. It's all the things you could ever want and then also some very classic
2: glazed, yeasty, delicious. How much do these donuts cost? Which I have ones no done? idea. Yeah. Yeah.
11: <laughs> I just bought them because well, like, I uh, love the So, kids. Ryan, you're
2: a fan of the, the Grand Central Station. Well, I just walked a by it the plant. other
14: day, um, and, and it's called Donut Plant, and uh, it has all these beautiful donuts. One of them was a miniature donut, blue, sort of cerulean blue with these little glittering gold stars on it, and I realized it was a donut replica of the ceiling mural in the main concourse oh, of Grand Central Station. Now... I walked away with three donuts for thirteen dollars. brilliant, low brow, brilliant. So, low 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 brilliant. Um, yeah. so Rich, Rich,
2: would like to make <laughs> one proletarian <laughs> statement here on this show.
14: I'd like
4: to speak for the people for a second here. Um, <laughs> thirteen bucks for three donuts My is, is sort of Rich. it's outrageous, right? Yeah. So. And, and I do want to agree that food is the capacity for bringing people together, right? You know, um, but when we start saying that it only brings some of the people together and the other people have to stand outside like, you know, like Bob Hatchin and his son uh, watching you eat your turkey, um, that's a bit much, right? Um, <laughs> Thirteen bucks for three donuts is outrageous. So you're going to quickly endorse So the... I'm, I I'm going to endorse French crullers yes! from Dunkin' Donuts. It's like about a buck, and you can't beat it. I don't care whether your donut looks like it's the ceiling of the Grand Central or not. You're all not right. going to beat so, it.
2: So do we, do we have time? All right. So all of this food that you eat, it's got to go somewhere, right, when you're all done? Kyone Wolf wants to tell you about that.
13: 2018 has been one of the best years of my life. I got engaged. We bought a house. I got my first haircut in 17 years. And I would like to endorse doing all those things. But what I'd really like to endorse are bidets. A bidet is this contraption you put on your toilet and it washes your butt. And you may be cringing right now at the idea of it, which doesn't make any sense because you wash your butt. You just probably wash it in the shower. And much like an optician said to me when selling me glasses, he said, Do you want scratches on your lenses or do you want to pay a little bit of extra money to get a protective sealant so you don't get scratches? And so I ask you, do you want a clean butt? If so, you should get a bidet. The only problem with bidets is when you go somewhere where there's no bidet and then you realize how much you miss it.
2: All right, We we say the show is going to end, we mean it's going to end. All right, thanks to Rebecca Castellani, Jim Chapdelaine, Rand Richards Cooper, Tanisha Dugan, James Hanley, Rich Holland, Jacques Lamar, Irene Papoulis, Kate Russian, General James Mattis. He didn't say much, but we felt a lot safer having him here. Thanks to Jonathan McNichol for pulling this whole amazing circus together. Uh, and we'll be back, well, sort of after Christmas, kind of, although we might have something for you before Christmas.
10: Woodbury, Vernon, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington, yeah 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 yeah